1: What can we say about this life we now lead where everything is connected? that means we find sociality in all different kinds of spaces and all those spaces seem to overlap. Well, that's what Mary Chaco talks about in her new book, Super Connected, The Internet, Digital Media and Techno Social Life. And that's who's on new books and technology today. I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. So we're here with uh, Mary Chaco, who's the author of Super Connected, The Internet, Digital Media, and Techno-Social Life. And one of the things we always like to do on New Books and Technology is to understand who we're talking to. So who is Mary Chaco?
0: Hi, Jasmine. Hi, everybody. <laughs> well, I am a professor of communication and information at the School of Communication and Information at Rutgers University. And I'm a sociologist. I'm also, uh, I have a background as a radio broadcaster. I've been in media for over 10 years. So uh, combining my interest in digital technology and radio, I've been doing a lot of writing and research on the ways that the Internet and digital technology impact
1: us in our modern lives. Mm -hmm. So you said you're a professor at the Rutgers School of Communication and Information. So perhaps you can explain what, for people who don't know what, a college of information is. Perhaps you can tell us what a college of information, what does that do?
0: So we have a big school within Rutgers University. Rutgers has many schools, and we are a large school within Rutgers that's devoted to the study and practice of and research about communication in all of its forms, information, and media. So we have three departments in our school. We have a Department of Communication, a Department of Information, and Library Science, which has a major called Information Technology and Informatics. And we have a Department of Journalism and Media Studies. So three large departments within this large school within, of course, New Jersey's major flagship public university. So that's uh, who our school is, and that's what we do. And we do a lot of great work that I'm really thrilled to be
1: part of. Great. So. How do we get to super Connected, the book
0: well i've been studying for over twenty years various aspects of how people connect with one another when they don 't necessarily see face to see one another face to face so originally, I looked at mass media I looked at radio and TV and how people who would you know follow one another or know of one another through the media could feel that they know one another, could feel that they're bonded, maybe even feel that they're in a community without ever having met face-to-face. And that was really the pre-social media age when I started being interested in those ideas and writing about them as a sociologist and a professor of communication. And then lately, as social media has just exploded, and of course, you know, internet and media are everywhere – I've really taken my analysis and my interests into the digital world, and I'm trying to find out how people use digital technology to also feel that they know people who they may or may not know face-to-face. You know, Are those connections real? Are they um, satisfying? How do they intersect with people's everyday face-to-face interactions? So this is the kind of research that I do. And what I do is I interview people, who use these technologies and who use them a lot. I've conducted over 200 of these um, interviews, both face-to-face and over electronic technology. I've, I've conducted over 200 of these interviews over the years. And increasingly, they're, they're focused on the digital because that's what I'm really, really interested in these days. But I've um, conducted lots of interviews. I compile my findings. And then I... I add my findings to this growing body of literature on how people live with these technologies. And this literature is happening in all kinds of fields, not just sociology and communication. But psychology and media technology and information studies, computer science, there's English. There's so many different areas in which people are studying these issues. So my work is really a small piece of the puzzle. But I think it's important to really talk to people and find out how they're experiencing, how they're using these technologies. And that's what I do.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, it, one of the words that you used, I believe, when you're answering just now is fundamental to, uh, I guess, attempt to understand life online and you said whether the interactions are real. And so mm-hmm. we talk about realness of interactions, particularly online or on mobile. What exactly yep. are you do you mean by that? We we try to study the realness of these interactions.
0: Well I I've asked people whether these connections for them you know feel real, feel as authentic as genuine as those that they might that they might make face to face. Certainly, they're not going to be exactly the same, right? I mean, you can't reach out and touch a person digitally. Sure. you can't they can't you know feed you chicken soup if you're sick. I mean it's it's different, right? but I mean, is it also genuine in the fact that it matters for you that it's meaningful, that it has importance that you care about the person that you Feel that you're friends with them, that you could possibly feel that you love them, that you feel that you support and are supported by them. You know, again, what are the dimensions of these relationships if they're not face to face? Or when they're not face-to-face, because sometimes it's with somebody who we also know physically, but they're just not available to us much of the time, so we're conducting a lot of the relationship digitally. So I really, I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of how authentic these relationships are for us, how meaningful they are.
1: Hmm. Well, I think what we're talking about now is one of the, the words in the title of your book, but also used throughout the book, and that is the, or the phrase, techno-social life, am I yes. correct? Right. Yes. So perhaps you can explain that, that phrase a little bit more for for the listeners.
0: Well, for me, I use uh, "techno socials" a word that's used out there, but I use it with a hyphen because I think both parts of the hyphen are important. Mm-hmm. Um, our lives are techno saturated, right? They're saturated, and we're immersed in technology, especially in the technology rich, you know, areas in which we live. So we're, we're very we're practically saturated with technology, so our lives have a lot of techno in them. But they're also, but the technology really does link to the social, meaning that it helps us make social relationships. It helps us make communities. Those two things are linked, and both sides of the hyphenated word for me are equally important. So you can't really have social these days in a, in a technology-rich society. You can't really have uh, a really robust social life without it being technologically enabled, technologically enhanced. So the technological is a big part of the social, but also the social is a really big part of the technological. I mean, when you're on technology, a good portion of the time, you're acting in a social way in some respect. You are interacting with somebody or you have somebody in your mind as you're working. You have a nearness to other people. You're using the results of other people's uh, research or work. You're Mm -hmm. connected to them. I mean, this idea of connections is probably the really biggest one for me. So techno-social life is connected life, and that's how we see our lives unfolding in a tech-rich society.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about how uh, if you don't really use technology a lot, then you're missing out on kind of a vibrant social life. So I'm wondering, like, what what do you see as the, I guess, implications for people who either reject things like uh, social media, but not just social media, but... A lot of the, I guess, more modern computing technologies that we have, but also those people who don't have access to those uh, um, technologies.
0: And, I, and that's that's an important factor. I mean, everybody is not equivalent, equivalently available to take advantage of the kinds of things I'm talking about. You know, everybody doesn't have the same access nor the same literacy nor the same skills i mean these things are not distributed evenly right i mean so we have there's there's gaps and there's problems that we really do need to be concerned about because in order to be really competitive in a global society in the modern age you need to have some level of technological connectedness so you really we need to work to get more Areas and more countries online. You know, there's a there's a lot of people who are excluded from this world, but some people choose to be offline by choice too, and that's certainly, you know, that's certainly another way to go about things. But usually, I think that those people are missing out on a certain level of um, information that would be available to them. You know, information is generally spread through these digital networks these days, and if somebody is not digitally connected, they're you know they're missing opportunities they're missing resources they might miss the opportunity to for example network further with people who are um could do something for them either professionally or personally they they might be locked out of those kinds of opportunities they might miss the chance to make friends with people who would be similar to them or have interests that would resonate with theirs so that's something that might be missing and um, there's just, you know, there's aspects of modern life that are really enabled by these technologies that they'll be kind of cut off from. I was talking earlier about um, the reality of these connections. And mm-hmm. the research seems to indicate that these connections are very real. They do feel authentic. Like people have been telling me, they tell other researchers that there's a real, um, authentic, genuine way of connecting that happens on mm-hmm. these networks. And you cut off from that if you're not using those networks. Of course, there's plenty of other ways to make connections and to communicate. you you know you can live a perfectly good life, you can live a satisfying life, but there's things that you will be um, missing or cut off from. And so I always try to argue that people should have a blend, you know the the blend that's right for them. But I think in most cases you want to sort of layer on these different types of communication opportunities and layer them together mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense for you rather than just saying, I won't do this or I'm only going to do that. Usually it's a combination. Usually it's a blend.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I think what I- we're talking about lends to this this next question, and that is you talk about in the book uh, participatory culture and crowdsourcing, but sharing and presuming and in, in, in participatory Participatory culture uh, in particular. So I was wondering about this idea of participatory culture. So when I think of participatory culture, I think of um, tactics by institutions to engage people, uh, whether it's news and allowing comments or forums or whatever the case may be. And so I wouldn't know if you could talk about participatory culture and its effects in this super connected world we have.
0: Well, I I mean, I think it's an important word for people to be concerned with and to people know this idea of participating, you know, where, where members of the public are taking active part, right, in creating and consuming their cultural products. These things aren't just being done from... Uh, large companies, or from other people, or from on high. I mean, we can all participate now in a culture and an economy. Again, not all those of us who are who are able to have the access. But mm-hmm. the idea is that as more and more people have access, more and more people are able to exchange and share content, but also goods, time, effort, money. You know, all these things are are shared. More freely, so we sometimes call it a sharing economy too. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about um, companies like Uber and Airbnb, right, which right. are devising ways for products like cars and vacation rentals to be shared instead of purchased. Uh, so there's, um, you know, there's really like a new way of doing work, a new way of expressing oneself. It's becoming common to create to express your creativity by. Um, Remixing and reconfiguring content that's already out there, like text or music or video, mm-hmm. and just being able to be creative in a whole new way. So when we talk about a participatory culture, we're talking about people being able to take, you know, a more active part in creating their culture, which is, has always been the case to some extent, but really there's so many more opportunities for it to happen now.
1: Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about like some of the fruit of, I guess, participatory culture. So uh, user generated content, yes, and the huge, I guess, um, amount of attention that user generated content has gotten recently. Thinking of, I'm thinking of like the memes that go around, and also the rise of these platforms specifically for user generated content, like Vine, like. Uh, you know, Instagram, all of these things. And I was wondering what your thoughts on are on those, This, these platforms being made specifically to um, get people creative, if you will.
0: Well, I've got a few thoughts. So, I mean, I think creativity is important and great, and people are using these platforms to explore all aspects of their lives and their selves that they might not have done Earlier, you know, there's just a lot of opportunities there for people to really dig down and and make things and express themselves, and that's super important. Mm-hmm. But I think we also have to keep in mind that every time we're doing these things, you know, sharing sounds like kind of uh, it, it sounds all positive and happy and mm-hmm. light, and we have to remember that you know people are looking in, they're over our shoulders as we're making all of these things. We're contributing information about ourselves uh-huh. that are then used. To sell things that are monetized, that are tracked, we are—you know—we're really being surveilled to quite a, a, an. To quite a deep extent when we 're online, I mean surveillance is fairly constant it 's being provided to all kinds of companies all the time i mean we 're being watched, and we forget about this when we 're involved in something that 's so engaging so it 's important to remember that surveillance is happening so that sharing isn 't free sharing you know we 're paying with our information we 're sharing we 're paying with details about our lives. And and I think that's often forgotten when we're in this sharing economy, right? Because it's so expressive and it's often fun. And I'm also thinking about younger people who sometimes they're on the Internet almost constantly on social media, putting up photos, putting up information. And, you know, at some level is this. Can this be used against us? You know, and it's an important thing to just keep in mind. I don't think you know the participatory culture is going to go away by any means, nor that it should. But we need to be thoughtful while we're in it. We need to be educated. We need to know that this is not a free economy. Information is is the price paying mm-hmm. all this information. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I think part of what you're talking about is perhaps a lack of. Digital or information literacy, even though that we've now, for the most part, have a generation who's been a, been around technology their entire lives, and older people as well, uh, using technology for most of their daily functions. Um, but there is a distinct lack of either awareness or literacy about how these super connected spaces really work if you will.
0: Absolutely. No, I find that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we plunge headfirst into them. We enjoy music <laughs> spaces. We're in them all the time. But that doesn't mean we always know the, um, you know, all the codes that we should and all the rules of the road because it can be a dangerous space. And mm. it can be a place where, again, you get so immersed that you don't really think about the implications of everything that you're doing. And literacy and education and just more awareness absolutely is critical here. This is something I try to do. In my classes at the um, School of Communication and Information, I run, um, I direct a program called the Digital Communication Information and Media Minor Mm -hmm. at our school. And this is um, an 18 credit program which is all about giving students um, tools and understandings, and 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 just this kind of awareness that we're talking about here, that when we're in these digital spaces, we're aware, we're thinking, we're cognizant of the implications of all this activity. Um, of course, you don't need to take necessarily a college program in order to have this awareness, and I think podcasts like this are a great way to get the word out there, but we really do need to spread this understanding, we need to spread this word, because it's just very easy, like I said, to get wrapped up in what you're doing, to get wrapped up in the enjoyment, the creativity, the fun, and not think about the risks, the dangers. And, you know, there's risks in every form of human interaction. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily something that needs to deter us from being online. But you always want to be aware of the potential risks of anything that you're doing, right? And you want to proceed thoughtfully and carefully. It's like looking both ways before you cross the street. Uh And so I think it's important for us to talk about this and to get the word out that, you know, We need to be alert and aware when we're online. It's not happening in a vacuum. It's happening in a very public space with potentially a lot of eyes on us, and our data are being tracked, and they could be being used for things that we don't even have any idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, in, in chapter eight of your book, and I think related to what we're talking about now, chapter eight of your book, you talk about techno social institutions or perhaps the effect of uh, the super or the superconnected life that we now live on these major institutions, not just institutions like work and commerce, but also the family and, uh, you know, things like religious observances. And I was wondering if you could talk about that and how institutions are being affected by the superconnected the superconnected life that we most of us live.
0: Sure. Well, first of all, one of the things that sociologists teach about social institutions, and when I talk about a social institution, I'm talking about a, a foundational, functional, like long lasting systemic you know, building block of society. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the family, religion, politics, work, military, you know, they all are, they're they're so foundational to our society. But one of the things sociologists teach about these institutions is that you generally can't understand anyone without understanding them in context with one another. You want to think about how they influence one another. And media is a big institution, and I would think of internet and digital media as as an aspect of the larger media institution. Okay. And so, you know, can you really understand what's happening in media or any other aspect of life without understanding how it impacts and is impacted by the other institutions? Such as family, such as religion or work. So, for example, if we want to talk about the family a little bit and how that is, you know, impacted by digital technology, um, you know, families are in a way more connected than ever because they have these abilities through texting, through group texts, through Facebook, through Twitter to actually stay in contact with one another. Like family members who may not see one another very often are staying in contact. On Facebook, mm-hmm. and that might make them more likely to have a family reunion someday, and so the family is persisting and is going forward in you know a um, a more robust way, a larger way, a stronger way, it can strengthen families, and therefore it can strengthen the institution of the family, but again, the family needs to use the technology thoughtfully it needs to not just um, you know throw technology in every room of the house such that people are always going to separate rooms. You need to sometimes gather together to do something together, to watch a television show together. Again, you want to use these things thoughtfully. So, you know, families and, and other institutions need to think about how they're integrating the technology into the activities that they're doing, the everyday life. And and we know now that it can be used to keep these institutions stronger, to keep them more connected. For example, you know, religious institutions, which now have their own websites, their own podcasts, ways for people to um, make community with one another when they're not actually, you know, in the religious uh, space, when they can, you know, kind of dip into it from home. And and we find that in all the other institutions as well. So there's, it, it gives people a way to connect and a way to get more firmly embedded within the institution, but the institution itself and the people who are running it, they need to be thoughtful. They need to know what they're doing. They need to integrate the technology in an intentional way.
1: Mm-hmm. So are there, are there um, hazards or uh, negatives to being in these super-connected spaces?
0: Well, absolutely. I mean... The one that first comes to my mind is just the harassment and negativity that many people find when they're in a digital space. You know, sometimes when people don't have face-to-face accountability to one another, they're a little more crude. They're a little more thoughtless. They just don't maybe picture that human being on the other end of the connection, and so maybe they're a little bit more likely to just say something that they otherwise wouldn't face to face—it's just a little more thoughtless. And we see, you know, not just thoughtlessness, but we see outright harassment, death threats. Uh, you know, it can be—it can be a, a dangerous place out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's one of the first things that I think about. Um, and I also think about people who maybe try to be online too much and have built up like a dependency on it who have a hard time disconnecting. As I said before, a balance is really what we look for. So you want to be able to connect and disconnect as, as makes sense for you. You know, living online isn't in my eyes, the best way to go. You know, you want to be able to go on and off and log on and log off as you need. Um, An interesting thing, I think, about logging off in the modern age is that we often kind of are still thinking about being online when we're off. Like we think, oh, I'm going to post about this later. Or let me take a photo now so that I can post it soon. So we're, you know, we're really kind of online and offline at the same time. It's enmeshed. It's mixed together. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do want people to not always be in front of a screen. You know, I think that can be... You know, not not as healthy as yeah. to put the you know put the computer down, put the phone down, and and put it to the side for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So I I think that's a little bit of a of a danger too. And then and then the next thing that just comes to mind for me is is multitasking. People who are always trying to do a lot of things at once, because with a lot of screens in front of you at once, you may get into the habit that you know. Now that I have the opportunity to. You know, do my homework while I'm listening to music, while I'm chatting with someone, while TV is on at the same time, while friends are coming in and out of the room. Research shows that multitasking for most of us simply doesn't work. In fact, it's really not even possible Like, cognitively, we're mostly only able to attend to one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So to try to do too many things at once is going to degrade the output. It's going to degrade the impact of these activities. It's not the best idea. And, you know, the the easy access to digital tech tempts most of us to try to multitask, I think, a little more often than we should. Mm -hmm. So this is something just to keep in mind, again. This is something to be aware of. To, you know, just because you can do a lot of things at a lower level. Or to, um, uh, Lin- uh, technology um, consultant Linda Stone calls it giving continuous partial attention to a lot of things at once. And that's, you know, usually not the best for having the, the best outcome in any one of those things. So I, I try to encourage people to to not try to multitask too often you know um there are a few people who are like super multitaskers they're able to like they Mm. their brains are actually structured a little differently than the rest of us don't assume you're one of those people you're probably (laughs) you're probably not (laughs) i know i'm not
1: (laughs) ditto i think uh you know i think what we're talking about here in the possible hazards of overuse of, of um, screen time in these super connected spaces lend to the question about um, techno panics uh, some people uh, raise an alarm uh, related to almost any kind of possible negative thing that could happen in these, you know, yeah. on the internet or on mobile. And I was wondering uh, what's your thought on you know some of the I guess alarmist, if you will, uh, concerns related to the Internet, and and use of technology for social life?
0: Well, I think it's not helpful. I think that's not the best way to address any of this. You know, a panic almost always is going to set us in the wrong direction, and it's not necessary. Um, technology is here to stay. We are, we are adapting to it. Our norms are changing in response. Certainly, um, you know, again, speaking of dangers, another thing to keep in mind, you know, is just cyber terrorism and the way that, you know, like hate groups can find one another on the Internet. We know that this is happening, but a panic is not the right response. You know, thoughtful, educated, intentional regulations or decisions are the best thing. You know, I'm not about a lot of um, regulation on the Internet at all, but certainly you want to have some laws in place so that we can um, we know that we know what's going on, that we can. Uh, be thoughtful about trying to to maintain a society where we've still got order, but we have um, freedom—the freedom to use these technologies as we see fit. So, a panic—I—I—I I, I just the, you know even the word makes me <sighs> nervous. It's not—it's not the right way to address anything. Um, and another mistake is to assume that it's the technology's fault. Mm-hmm. You know that because we have technology in use that these things wouldn't be happening if we didn't have technology in use people will always find ways to contact one another and do harm and it's not the fault of the technology when I teach my courses um, this is called technological determinism mm-hmm. the idea that you know the technology determines the outcome it's still the use it's still the ways that we're choosing to use it it's the norms that are arising in in response to the use it's not the fact that we have the technology anyway it's the use of the technology Technology And thoughtful use is always better. And when we panic, we don't think straight. So mm-hmm. I always, you know, I, I always encourage, you know, the, um, the more considered use of technology. Um, panics are, are not helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. So what do you see as the future for the Internet, digital media and, and our, our techno social life?
0: Well, you know, certainly uh, innovation is going to continue at a high rate. This super connectedness I talk about in the book will only continue. I mean, you even look at how, you know, computing capacity of hardware is, is doubling every couple of years, how computing is becoming smaller and more powerful. And we've got all these emerging technologies which are entering the picture, like robots and, and drones and artificial intelligence and cyborgs. And, you know, we're entering a world in which technology is becoming, you know, surely more embedded in everything that we do. Um, but for me, that means more connectedness, more community being developed, and, and those two things are good. And um, and as we form networks with one another that increase our opportunities and our resources and our ability to, you know, to spread information, you know, there, there's so much good that can come of that. So I always look to the future positively. I always look, hopefully, to a super-connected world in which we just get a better grip on how to do this in a way which is going to be um, helpful and not harmful. Uh, Certainly, I know we're going to see plenty of both. Um, I guess one of the things that happens when we become super-connected is that almost everything just increases. There's just lots and lots of connection now, right? Lots and lots of technology. And I know that that can become a little overwhelming. So, um, you know, so getting a grip on it is important, but as we, as we increase our levels of connection to one another, I always hope that that means that our levels of understanding of one another are going to increase as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the opportunity now to really know what people are like, to, to see them express themselves in really personal ways. And, and that should increase our knowledge of people who are different from us. That should increase our empathy our understanding and our caring. I see a more caring, a more connected world arising out of all of this, and and that's because we're still human beings when we're using this technology. And I believe human beings are essentially altruistic and good and want to make these kinds of connections. And the exceptions to that do not uh, change that general fact. You know, I see a connected world, which is going to be. A great world to live in and to go into and and that means having technological literacy, like i said, and it means greater access for all of us, but it's not something I think to fear mm-hmm. it's something to embrace
1: mm-hmm. that sounds good so one of the things we like to do at this time in the podcast is have what we call the elevator pitch and that is if someone were tuning in just now some reason somehow and we wanted to tell them you wanted to tell them why they should check out super connected and you have a minute to do so what would you say
0: i'd say my book brings together ideas from all kinds of disciplines like sociology, communication, psychology, media, information, and technology studies to explore the impact of the Internet and digital technology on our everyday lives. And so it explores the ways we construct our identities and our cultures um, and the way we work, play, learn, govern, and fall in love. It's an important topic in a modern world which is so intersected by sociology and by and by super connectedness. And I think it's really important to bring these Ideas together in one place, which is what I think this book does. Um, I hope it's readable. I hope it's accessible. I hope it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I um, I encourage anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about these issues to pick it up and to contact me on Twitter because I'm very available to talk about these ideas. I'm on Twitter at Mary Chaco. That's M A R Y. C H A Y K O, and we can talk about things. We've got a hashtag, hashtag Superconnected, in which we can share ideas and you know let's learn more from each other about all this.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds good to me. So, what's next for you?
0: Well, the book just came out this week, so <sighs> I am kind of focused right now in getting the word out and talking about it with some some people from different areas, which have found that these ideas are, um, relevant to them. So I'm going to be talking about this book for a while now and continuing my, my interviews, continuing my research to find out more about the different ways that people use these technologies and about the ways that the digital and the physical overlap and intersect for them, because this is something that's an ongoing course of study. You know, it's never really done Mm -hmm. as new technologies are invented and spread, I want to know how people are using them. I want to know what the meaning is of these technologies to their everyday lives. So I'll continue to conduct research in this area. I'll be talking about this book. And, and you know, we'll be working on another one someday, but it's a little too soon to ask me about <laughs> today.
1: Great. And we look forward to, to having you on the, the show again when you complete your next project as well. So the book is here. I will be here for that. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So the book is super connected, the internet, digital media, and techno social life. And we've had Mary Chaco on the show today and we really thank her for being on. We are honored to, to be able to talk to her about this book. And thank you, uh, Jasmine. It was a real pleasure. No problem. This has been new books and technology. Have a great week. you